Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast, where we bring together the best medical minds, thought leaders, scientists, patients, and caregivers to inform and inspire the spondylitis community. I'm your host, Jill Miller, living my best spa life, knowing that how we meet today has the power to change everything going forward. Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast. Today, our guests are Kristen and Casey. They are going to talk to us a little bit about a relationship when you have uh, AS. Let me tell you about them. Casey is the founder and president of College for Life and a leading national voice on the topics of healthy masculinity and personal development for more than a decade. He travels the country both physically and virtually to work with campuses and organizations who aim toward the extraordinary, and he is not interested in average. He was born in Cincinnati, is a first-generation college graduate with a bachelor's and two master's degree, despite being (laughs) advised college isn't for everyone. He is a proud fraternity man, a member of his chapter's Hall of Fame, and the creator of the Cornelius Scholarship for first-generation students. He's been recognized with national and international awards for educational content, development, and delivery as a spokesmo for his work with the the Movember Foundation. Casey is also a person of great contradiction, a lifelong fan of summer and long walks on the beach. He now resides with his wife, daughter, and parents in Michigan. His proudest titles are father, husband, and son, and he is the other half, not better or worse, of Casey, of Casey, who is the uh, professor of English and education at Delta College. It's a community college located in the Great Lakes Bay region in Michigan. And she is the mother of a fabulous 16-year-old daughter, Kendall, and married to Casey. They're each other's support structure uh, and are Guest Kristen also has AS. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. You guys, welcome. I'm super excited for this. Thank Uh, you for having us. All right, let's dive into it. I I introduced you, so we don't need to have you go through that. Uh, How long have you guys been married? And tell us a little bit about your journey. Do I get to take this one, sweetheart? Please. Yes. I don't want to get anything wrong. Perfect. Okay. Okay. Um, so we have, we will be married for 17 years this November. Um, and, but we have been together for 27 years. We met while we were on family vacations in Myrtle beach, South Carolina. So, um, both of us are from Ohio originally. Um, so thankful for that because everyone in Ohio, at least in the um, 80s and 90s, jumped on 77 and drove down to Myrtle Beach. Um, you know, you know, hang a left when you get to Florence. Um, so we were we were there, we met each other and we happened to be there a couple of summers in a row. And the summer going into our senior year, we're like, hey, I kind of like you. So let's see how long distance works. Um, and so we did long distance dating our senior year and our freshman year of college, we both went to the University of Toledo together. So and we've been a thing ever since. What did I miss, Casey? I, I always say that ours is ours is one of the few successful relationships that started in Myrtle Beach. And that's no disrespect to Myrtle <laughs> Beach. If anyone's listening, 
you're from Myrtle Beach. This is not a Chamber of Commerce uh, conversation, but many relationships start successfully in Myrtle Beach, but very few continue as successfully as ours has for now nearly three decades. That is true. And we and we had we had a close call two, three years after we had started dating. I was back in Myrtle Beach with my mom and my sisters. Uh, my dad had had um, passed away. And our first official date was at Damon's restaurant. It was on the pier on the ocean. Um, and we came the back. From, right, right, right. Um, and we came back from eating dinner and like walked down to the beach. And there's big commotion. We're like, what's going on? It was on fire. It burnt to the ground. So <laughs> I wasn't 100% sure if that was an omen about our relationship or not. But as it oh. turned out, as it turns out, uh, no, it was not. We're still here all these years later. So it was, it was, you know, just an awful thing that happened to Damon's. And everyone was fine. No, yeah. no one got hurt in the fire. Uh, good. That's good to know. Uh, I've eaten many a rib at Damon's. Uh, 27 years is a really long time and you're scooting through life and then all of a sudden what happens in terms of your health uh yeah so um i have i had had for a while some like lower back issues um and i had a really hard time getting doctors to really look into it right so it was a bunch of like did you fall did you do this did you do that and and at one point in time the answer to that was yes um, but things just never got better um and so i do mris and i would do these things and then a doctor would say go to physical therapy and this is no knock up against physical therapy because it's a great great thing um my brother-in-law's a physical therapist it's fantastic but when there's an underlying condition not being treated it can only help you so much. Um, and so that went on, I would say probably almost eight to 10 years before I started, my body was finally like, okay, we're, we're going to, we're, we're going to shut you down. <laughs> um, yeah. And so um, in December of 2015, we moved into our, our house that we're currently in. And as we were unpacking, I like, I noticed I had a really sore thumb and I just assumed I must've jammed my joint, like it didn't think anything of it. And then like three days after that in a very fast cascading motion, it was my thumb that was bright red and, and just inflamed. And then it was my knee and then it was my Achilles. And then it shifted into my elbow and then it was my shoulder. And like, it, like my whole body was just out of control with inflammation and yeah. um, what it was, what was going on. And what tipped it off was I had been, self-medicating with ibuprofen for so long because I could not get the medical care that I really needed. Um, it, I destroyed my stomach lining. And so the doctor that I went to go see for that was like, you can't take this ibuprofen anymore. And without a suppressant, without that suppressant in my system, my system went, went haywire. Um, so it was both unfortunate and really fortunate because I don't know how many more years I would have struggled um, with like not knowing what it was. So um, from December through about March, um, it, I had to wait to get into the um, 
into my rheumatologist. And when I did, he took one look at me, looked at all the notes that I brought with me because I had tracked every single one of these flares and how long it lasted. And he's like, you either have this or you have ankylosing spondylitis. He, and he sent me for um, x-rays and blood tests. And within two weeks, he's like, yep, you have ankylosing spondylitis and here's the Humira and here's what we're going to do. And, and, and I was so utterly relieved that there was an answer that it took me a long time to, for the reality to sink in that this is something you're going to live with for the rest of your life. Cause I was just like, I know what it is. Yeah. I, I read one, an article you guys were both in that because contextually when this all happened, you were moving. So, right. Like massive stress, all these things going on in, in life. And I know you said like, I had all the boxes done and I had everything taped. So what could possibly hurt this? Um, but it sounds like your experience uh, is unique to you, but it's also, there's a lot of overlap with a lot of women across those years. So I'm going to ask Casey, not that I don't want to hear from you, Kristen, but I'm going to ask Casey, uh, you know, how did this, what happened to your relationship over this period of time? How are how are you responding? And do you remember anything that like really tested the relationship related to someone not feeling well in the house all along? And um, you know, I I I don't I don't want to belabor this, but but the premise of the question is, did it test our relationship? And the answer is yeah. no. The answer is it strengthened our relationship in, in many, many ways. What it tested was my desire and ability to help Kristen not live with pain. And, you know, what, what she did a, a, a very brief overview of there was the process of going from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor. Yes. And each of them... I, I don't want to say, I don't want to say shir shirking off what was happening, but always defaulting to you're too young to have something really, really bad going on, right? You, you probably hurt yourself. You should go to PT. You should stretch, you, you know, all, all this other. By the way, again, all great advice under normal circumstances and normal, normal injuries. But I remember uh, one time specifically where I, I could see in her face the anger, frustration, sadness, you know, <laughs> fill, in, fill in the negative emotion uh, associated with not being taken seriously again by a medical professional. And up until that point, despite my natural inclination to, to jump in, I, I had remained silent. But at that moment, I had to insist um, that her concerns be taken seriously. And, and fortunately, they were. I, I remember the, the initial diagnosis too. And I remember that night, the next night waking up, you know, sort of in the middle of the night and, and immediately going to, okay, now what are we going to do? And that's actually when I know I first discovered the Spondylitis Association of America, because it's like, I, I got to Google this. I, I, I got to yeah. figure out one, what this is two uh, what we could do, what resources and support is out there. And I immediately went to um, how can we learn as much as we can and how can we apply that knowledge? And then not long after that, and this is part of the evolution too, Chris and I both decided that one of the most important things that we could do is not only gain this information, 
um, but also to give back in, in meaningful ways to the SAA, to all the good folks who have helped along uh, her journey as well. I love it. So did you start your work around healthy masculinity and personal development before the diagnosis? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no. And, and, um, you know, trust me, a lot of the work that I do with men is around this idea of help seeking behavior and, um, uh, being, being able to admit when you don't have full, uh, control and capacity to, to determine all the outcomes of things. I had to take my own advice in, in, in many of these, um, yeah. in many of these situations to say, there's no amount of want to that was going to, to quote unquote, fix the situation. Uh, the the only thing that we could do is is do the thing that my my kindergarten teacher uh, encouraged me to do from the very beginning, which is show patience. Oh, I thought um, it was use your words. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Trust me, she she was many times telling me not to use he, my words. He did to, not get encouraged to use his words. <laughs> no, right, leave no, that one there. no, no. But uh, but but she did encourage me to to show patience and, and to to demonstrate patience even when you know when you're challenged not to and. In many, in many times, in many instances along the way, we, we've had to show patience um, because it, this does not operate on any anybody's timeline or desire or schedule, and we've had to to learn to accept that along the way too. No, and in terms of uh, aspirations for your life, has that changed at all? I guess I'll ask Kristen and Casey. You can chime in, but where you we all sort of have a plan for life. Did this change it or did you just keep going? Um, so it, it, it altered it for sure. Um, I think like anything, you know, I, I think I learned that it's really good to, you know, keep, keep looking forward, keep those aspirations. Um, but also you just don't know you, this taught me that you just never know what life is going to really throw at you. Um, so, it's okay to alter what you thought you were going to do. Um, and that took me a while um, because I really thought I'm going to go get my PhD. Um, and, you know, at the time where it made sense to, to be going back to do it, I couldn't. There, there was no way. I, like, I, I was still trying, even though I knew what I was dealing with now, it wasn't under control. It wasn't in, you know, it, it, I didn't know when it was going to flare i my fatigue days would come unexpectedly and sometimes it would it would be an hour i'd be flat on my back and then fine later and sometimes it would be four or five days and i just couldn't get through things and so um, i'm like i can't go back and do a phd program um, and at some point in time i thought to myself like you know i, I kind of like this the administrative roles i take on with different college projects do i want to look at doing that and the and the fact of the matter is that 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 time commitment both are time intensive jobs but with teaching i know i'm on for 16 weeks there's this break and i i am air quoting breaks for all of you folks out there <laughs> yeah. um and then you're on again and then and then you have your summer months and and i have learned i i have to be like i have to protect that time that works better for me at the end of my 16 week semester i'm down for like two three days i am down it's like my body my mind my body has told my mind like you're you've had as much time as you're getting we're shutting down the shop for a couple of days come back later right um so it it altered maybe some of the things i i thought i would be doing um 
but giving myself permission to just respond to how my body is feeling has let me open up opportunities and things that I, um, things I want to do that I wouldn't have done otherwise, because I was so, I used to be such a rigid stick to the plan type person. And now I'm kind of like, well, what's today going to bring? And here's what I'm hoping to do. And am I, do I get to it? Great. If I don't, eh, we'll try again tomorrow. I love that approach. And is this, uh, as you get through your 16 weeks and I, I give you a lot of credit for being able to shut it down. That's mm -hmm. tough to do. I, uh, how do you guys communicate when something's going awry? Either that you need, you need to shut it down in the middle of 16 weeks with a job and a child. And how do you communicate when things aren't going the way they were planned? Um, you know, better now, it, it took me a long time to be comfortable needing help. Um, it took me a long time to be comfortable not being able to do it. Like whatever it was, it just, it, it, it took me a while to do that. Um, so initially there were definitely a, a, like frustration points. Casey would try to kindly point out to me, I, I think your body's telling you, you need to slow down. I, well, you know, what if you don't take on this extra role? What if you, you know, what if you maybe only do this instead of this leadership thing? And they're like, no, no, I've got it. No problem. And then, you know, three days later, I'm not out of bed. Like, I can't get out of bed. So, yeah. um, so, um, in a way he has become very in tune to my physical reactions during the day. Um, he notices before I do often, if I start dropping things, my hands often are the first, if I'm going to come out of a, I, I don't know, do we still use the word remission? I don't know if we use that word or not anymore, but if I'm going to come out of a good period, um, my hands are often the first thing to get kind of weak and then they get pressure and all of that stuff. Um, so he's the first one to notice. He's like, I've seen you drop two or three things today. How are you feeling? Um, and so, uh, he's kind of become my like, um, canary in the coal mine to, yeah. to kind of like alert me to these things. Cause oftentimes when I'm, and I don't know if this is, or good, this, this is good or bad, but when things are going well, I don't think of my AS it, it's just, it's not there. So sometimes he reminds me to bring it back up into, um, into focus before it gets too late. Right. Yeah. I, right. I, you know, I think, I think one of the things that, um, as a, as a partner, and I'm sure many partners who are, who are listening to this podcast can, can attest to you, you start paying attention to the subtle signs. Um, you know, Kristen might not even know this, but when she, when she thinks that it's it's uh, her dropping something that that's my first clue, it's not. Typically, it's something in her voice. Like, yeah, I, I can hear something that sounds different than normal, and I I typically know that that's a sign that we're uh, twelve hours, twenty four, thirty six from potentially. Um, you know, a, a flare coming on or a bad day or, or a fatigue day. So then I become even more hyper aware to how our hands doing. Um, and I think that it's just one of those things that as a partner, as someone, you know, who, 
who loves another person who deals with something that is unseen, right? Like yeah. it's it's not it's not like it's not like a, a sign goes off and says, "Oh, yeah, you, you know, here, now we're going to have a crappy day." Like it, it doesn't do that. It's it's the the subtle thing that becomes something. You just you just start paying more attention to those and figuring out ways in which you can not only help but prepare. It's almost like you're an editor. Oh goodness, I would never I would never edit Kristen. But no, I mean I think it's <laughs> I think it's more like uh like I mean, I think it, it, it's it's almost like you see someone walking toward a, a pothole, and you you tap them on the shoulder and go, "Oh, hey, like there, there's a pothole right there," um, because you you just see the sign coming, you know what's about to happen, and uh, Kristen doesn't know any different than what's going on in her world, so she doesn't she doesn't hear her voice, <laughs> she doesn't see the yeah. signs, um, but but uh, now. And all that said, we're also really lucky because Kristen and I communicate, um, probably over communicate at times. It's just, it's just such an open, open dialogue all the time that we're, we're constantly checking in with one another and, and not, not very much goes unsaid or unnoticed. So. Yeah. I think you guys communicate, you have a, you have a, more of a magic in your communication than you think you do. <laughs> It well, we started like when we were very young. I mean, we, yeah. we, we grew up together. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's uh, it. So have you shifted the types of activities you engage in? And is that is that in a together way or is it? Uh... Uh, you know, I would have to say um, we have shifted. We've shifted what we do, um, but not in the way that most people would assume. I... I struggled initially in the earlier years. Um, I had to get out of my my pain protection mindset, right? So for the longest time, the only thing that was constant in my world was my pain. So it, it was like, it, it, it became this sort of psychological like baby that like, yes, I didn't like it, but it was always there. So it was, how do I protect myself? Um, not to, not to keep the pain around, but like, how do I protect myself in this pain? And, and so it was, I don't, I'm not going to keep running. I'm not going to take these walks. I'm not, I'm, I'm going to sit on the heating pad. I'm going like, it, it were like you, I, I sort of drew myself into this shell of I'm going to function as little as I need to, to keep completing things. Um, but when I am not on, or I don't feel like I have to, to be on, I was, down, so to speak. Um, and so it, I, I had to deal with that mindset first, that this type of pain can be managed. And the reality is I had to accept what the research showed, which is it gets managed through movement on top of, on top of your medications and, and things like that. But, but movement is very much a, a management of this pain. And so, um, once I, worked through that that pain protection mindset um and and allowed myself to start like okay you've tried everything else maybe you should move and and started getting some results with that um you know all of a sudden we did you know our our schedule did start you know let's take a walk this evening together let's go out to the state park and walk um you know michigan is great is a great outdoor playground um you know, let's go up north and, and hike some trails or, you know, um, 
get on the, you know, get on the beach and walk the, you know, walk the beach. And so we, we actually became more active in that way. Um, like even, and even recently, I'm just now after seven, eight years have worked my way up to believing that I need to lift weights. That was, that was always a big, I'm not doing that. Um, but since December, we've um, joined Planet Fitness. And so we've started lifting weights and things like that. Um, and I am finding, for me, uh, movement really is the key. It's allowed me then to cut down on where I was at my max with having to inject every single week with Humera. I'm down to every two to three weeks. And, and it's allowed me to, um, it's allowed me to cut down on the, on my discomfort throughout the day. And, um, I've learned to, to listen to my body a little bit more. And so, um, it gave me the appreciation to move while I can. And so our activities have gotten, not extreme. We're not, um, we're not triathletes or doing anything like that. Um, although there are some, uh, AS warriors out there who do that. And I think that that is, yeah, totally. um, um, but it, it actually has propelled us to do more than what we were doing. You know, Kristen, I thought you were going to bring up the, the, the dune climb. So Kristen kicked my butt, oh, uh, this spring at, uh, Sleeping Bear Dunes oh. National Park, the, wow. the dune climb. She, she, she kicked my butt, uh, pretty thoroughly in that in that climb so uh yeah i thought i thought you were gonna bring that up just to, to rub it in on uh on international airwaves here so listen i wasn't going to do that but now that you did it i was kind of like <laughs> looking over at him as he's like doubled over trying to catch breath like dude come on come on I yeah may have, i may have put a jab in there about his age only because he's like six weeks older than me so i, I think i did call him an old man but no and sleeping bear dunes are not to be messed with those are no they are no. not, especially, no. listen, disclaimer, especially when there's a forest fire going on in Canada, folks, oh, don't yeah. try to climb the dunes during a forest fire because your lungs, no matter how healthy you are, <laughs> they don't like that. Uh, but yes, I still, I still get some good natured teasing about uh, having to, having to tap out of the dune climb that day. So th that's impressive, really. Uh, and I love the strength training approach. Uh, Casey, what inspires you about Kristen and her journey? Wow. You know, I think, I'm not, I'm not sure if I've ever put this into words, but I think one, this happened at a stage in Kristen's life where, um, she didn't anticipate having to to have pain. Um, she didn't anticipate having to have fatigue days. Uh, certainly not at the time, you know, when we had a a young child who was who was uh, active and um, unpredictable and and all that other kind of stuff. Um, but she has dealt with it uh, with such grace and strength and perseverance and she has not allowed it to stop her in in the slightest i you know i i know i heard her say that she she decided to stop running and that's true she she did she stopped running and um but otherwise one wouldn't know that she has edited her life at all and i admire that because i think that there are times in which she would have had 
and does have every reason to say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to put the heating pad on. I'm just going to put my feet up, but no, she goes 120 miles an hour until, you know, she has to take a break. Uh, she, she doesn't, she doesn't pre-break as they say she, <laughs> it is, it is go hard, go fast. Um, get as much done as possible. Like what she was talking about, oh, in the summertime, you know, taking the time. That's not true. Like we are doing home remodel projects every now, summer. Now who's telling on whom? Uh-huh. The, the, only, the only difference is she just doesn't carry as much stuff as she used to. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, Less I'm, demo work I'm, for me. Exactly. There you go. But no, I, I just, I admire... I admire Kristen for a million reasons. This is a million and one. Uh, how she handles this adversity that she didn't choose, didn't do something to choose. Um, she she just does it with such uh, with such amazing grace and resilience. And um, again, a million and one reasons I admire. Okay, I'm crying. <laughs> that was beautiful. Uh, okay, I know. Kristen, like, you're okay. Like, I know. Pause. Pause. Commercial break. We'll be back. <laughs> Let's put you in the hot seat now. Uh, what is the most heartwarming moment you've had through all this when you were just knocked down and Casey was there? Um, that there maybe he doesn't several. know about. There have been several. And listen, now that I, like, I am going to, like, now this isn't going to help me from, like, not crying. Um, there have been several. Um, but there was literally a moment when I couldn't walk. I like both of my, both of my Achilles had flares in them and as did like most of my toes and the balls of my feet. I mean, I just couldn't walk. And he literally picked me up and carried me from room to room for like two days, up the stairs and down the stairs for us to go to bed, for me to go to the bathroom. I mean, <laughs> I was just like, I mean, it was a pretty, pretty low moment. So, um, you know, that, that is definitely, that always sticks out to me. You know, when you've got someone who will literally carry you, <laughs> you know, you're pretty lucky. I'd say so. And I appreciate you I, in like letting me make you vulnerable. That was <laughs> I uh, I know it's not easy. I think we all anyone who's listening knows it's not easy at times like that. And uh, I read something this week that said, if you're willing to feel all the feelings, you can accomplish so many things. Uh, oh, I love that. And that's this ride. Yeah, uh, that's this ride. Uh, and it's for anyone who cares, it's Peter Bregman, who wrote a book called You Can Change People. Uh, he's a great author, coach, person, and his whole focus is on emotional courage. And I think that's what you guys exhibit, it sounds like. Uh, and there's very little ego. So my big curiosity is, uh, what would you, what advice would you give to other people? We'll make Casey go first. He's crying over there. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, it, it, listen, I, I, I want to share, I want to share a quote for, for, um, for partners and loved ones and, and children and, and people who might be listening. Um, you know, Plato said that empathy is the highest form of human knowledge because it, it forces us to see the world as others see it. Even when we can't, we can't, we can't feel the pain. We can't feel the fatigue, 
but when we when we love others and we choose to see the world as they see it and feel it how they feel it, many of these choices become really easy. Um, I'm sure Kristen would have carried me from room to room. To, well, I mean, that's probably not fair. I mean, she has been lifting weights, but I, I'm sure she would do do exactly the same. You know, Jill, we, um, Chris and I took part in a, a series that was created called Life After Diagnosis. Oh, yeah. And um, we we contributed to, to the project overall, but specifically one of the things that I would encourage whether you're newly diagnosed, whether you're you're a partner, loved one of someone who has this diagnosis, whether it's a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, I would check out that series because there's a lot of great resources related to giving yourself um, permission and grace to have bad days. Um, it doesn't work on anybody's schedule. It's you know just because just because tomorrow's the weekend and and you've got big plans, uh, this this disease has other plans, and it will operate as it operates. And if you're a loved one, uh, you should be open to editing all all of those feelings and emotions and expectations and plans based on this thing that nobody has control over. Um, so if you have not yet checked out that series, Life After Diagnosis, you know plug for that. Um, but also just be patient because this is not a trust me when I say this, if there were a fix, we would have fixed it. If, if there were a pill, it would have been swallowed. If there were a shot, it would have been taken. There's not, there are those things that can help, but there is no fix. And the only thing that we can do is choose to show up each and every day, open mind, open heart, uh, open, open spirit uh, about what is is going to be next, and you know, just truly blessed and lucky to do it together. Wow, Kristen, do you have any advice for people? I mean, no longer am I following him up. Are you like your answers are so. I'm sorry. I'm like, oh my goodness! I'm like now I've got to follow that. Like it's back here searching for stage wisdom over here. Um, no, I think you <laughs> underestimate yourself. Um, so I have, I have two pieces of advice. Um, and so one goes to those folks who might be listening because maybe they've, they've, they've heard of this through their own sort of research and things like that. Um, for those of you that are sort of early and not yet maybe fully diagnosed, you are right that you feel the pain you feel and your body is not working the right way. So for those people who are still at the beginning of trying to actually get their diagnosis or um, maybe they have it and they're still trying to um, put into words what they're feeling so that their doctors understand how to help them best, it's not all in your mind. <laughs> you like you are not too young. You are not too female. You are not too you know. You're not too anything. You know that there's something wrong with you. So keep pushing for yourself. And 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 um, that kind of goes into my um, second piece of advice, which is you will have to learn your learn to love yourself in a way that you have never that most people haven't done before. Um, you know, I, um, I always thought that being a good person, being a good mother, daughter, wife, friend, anything, I always thought that was measured in, um, or that was really um, 
predicated on how much I could give or put the other person first. Um, because I, I had a certain joy that came from that, but I also thought like, that's what we're supposed to do in this world. We are supposed to be there for the people that we love, our others. Um, and, and if you're there, you're there for them first. And this disease and this journey has taught me, um, you have to learn to love yourself more than your fiercest supporter. Um, and as, as Casey is kind of showing in this conversation, I get a lot of love from my fiercest supporter. Um, so, but you, you have to learn to trust yourself, to love your flaws, to, to love the fact that your body is going to slow you down, to love the fact that you're going to have good days that are going to allow you to um, attack the world full force. Um, you're going to have to love that you can tell friends, I was feeling good when I made these plans with you yesterday and now I'm not. Um, and so it's, it's to piggyback off of Casey, it's sort of developing a, a level of empathy for yourself that, you know, I, I often had to, um, I, I had to seek out wisdom for how to do that, how, how to put myself first without feeling really guilty about it. Um, and, um, you know, uh, one of the things that I, I, I came across that was, um, that was said to me, you know, that really stuck was if you can't love yourself, you aren't going to get the love you need from the people around you because they can only love you based on your own reactions. Like they, you know, like they're not inside your head. Um, and so you need to love yourself fully so that others know how to love you fully. Um, and it was amazing to me that when I started to get over the guilt that I would feel for, for putting myself first and started doing that sort of um, introspective work on myself, um, how it actually catapulted my ability to be a better friend, be a better wife, be a better mother, um, because now I was working with this whole host of understanding about what people deal with invisibly deal with we all invisibly deal with um and and it's turned into a really amazing gift to have along with this journey so i'm very grateful for it um but that is absolutely the advice i would give um trust yourself fight for yourself and and learn to love yourself first um it really does return tenfold to yourself and then to the people that are in your life with you wow do you, do you think that as you went through that, just call it the journey of learning to love yourself, that some of that was the grief of the diagnosis and the way your life had shifted? I think of grief as a different form of love that most of us have never experienced or in that particular mm -hmm. way. Do you think that's part of the journey to loving yourself? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, the grief is such a good, I, you won't get out of this, out of this, out of this experience without experiencing grief. And people may or may not realize that that's what's, what's going on, but most definitely. Right. I mean, I, I hit the denial stage of it for a long time. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, and so you, you, you don't get out of it. Um, and um, because you, you do have to let go of 
like we talked earlier, what I envisioned I was going to be or who I was going to be, um, that person isn't going to exist. So you do have to grieve them and, and, you know, get ready, like, you know, shift yourself. Um, and it's definitely, um, it's an ongoing thing, you know, um, like, like recently I, I've gone back to, um, um, back to counseling. I have a wonderful counselor and I'm like, yeah, it's time for a check-in, right? Like, so I, I, I'm at this point in my life as a, as a mom, our daughter is a, um, a junior and she's fabulous. And, um, she seems poised to just burn the world down. So, um, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to be a mom first in the busy sense of mom, because she's going to be going to college soon. So, um, you know, and, and I'm in this new stage of, okay, so I'm no longer, <clears throat> pains me to say it, a young woman dealing with AS. I am going to be 45 here in October. So how, you know, I, I'm like, I, I need that check-in. I need that person beside me to help me work through what all this looks like as I'm growing into these new stages of life in terms of relationships and, and um, emotions, but also sort of the physical side of it. Like my body is not the same body it was when I was first diagnosed. So um, it's absolutely, it's recognizing grief and grief as a form of love. And it's, and it's recognizing that it's, it's ongoing work. Um, and I think initially the first time I had that thought, it felt very overwhelming. Um, and I don't know that I, I, I probably did go into, you know, just sort of a mild, like depression, like, you know, just sort of like, who am I, what am I going to do? Where am I supposed to be? Um, and, you know, absolutely. It's been a, it's been a long time for me since I hit that low point. Um, but it's not something I have, I have noticed at least for my last seven years, it's not something that's stopping. Like you know, putting yourself first and loving yourself and, and figuring out what you need. Um, it's, it changes as you change. And so, um, yeah. And I, I, I just, you know, I, I would, um, I would encourage folks to just be honest about it. Like, you know, like I said, I, um, it's empowering to know what you need. It's even more empowering yeah. when you're like, yeah, I'm just going to go get it for myself. Um, and when you can yes. do that, you're just like, Oh, yeah, I've got this thing and this thing sometimes slows me down, but I can really keep going with who you are at your core, who you are in your soul. I'm, I'm learning to not let AS touch that in a negative way. I I'm learning to only allow the positive side of what, what this journey has given me to, to reside inside of who I am and to let the negative pieces go. But that's certainly something I don't do as an individual. I go to counseling. I have a fabulous husband and best friend. Um, you know, I have other good friends. I've got my daughter. I, I read, I journal, like there's so many pieces of it that I do. Um, but I would definitely say that I don't feel alone when doing it, even when I am just sort of internal dialoguing with myself. You know, I, I hope I hope you don't mind me sharing this, Jill, real quick. I, I apologize. No, no, but, no, no. You know, no. I, I'm I'm listening to, to to Kristen share that answer, and you know, sometimes I, I do I do have to remind ourselves that it has been seven seven years since diagnosis. Um, it did it didn't start seven years ago. It started much much sooner than that, right? Um, close, but yeah. one of the things I I think I think she didn't say, which is advice not only for those who are warriors, but also those who love them is 
the next stage to empowerment is stop apologizing for things you can't control. Um, stop yeah. apologizing yeah. for, Hey, today's a bad day. Hey, I, I know we had plans, but I can't like talking about grief that goes back into this bargaining. Well, if I could just make it through today, then tomorrow I can be down. Stop apologizing for the things that you can't control. Whatever Kristen apologizes to me and she slips every once in a while. The first thing I say is you have nothing to be sorry about because what choice did you make that has led <laughs> led to this moment? Well, none. It's completely beyond her control. It's completely beyond the control of anybody listening to this who's who's a warrior. Like, yeah. So the next stage to this evolution, I think, and I hope, but not only for Kristen, but everybody listening, is just stop apologizing. Stop apologizing to your loved ones, your friends, your colleagues, your your bosses, your neighbors, whatever it might be, for prioritizing yourself. There is no alternative. Nice flip at the end there. Uh, reframing, I guess. I, I can't imagine a better way to land this than what you both said just now. Uh, and I want to talk all day, but we can't. <laughs> Thank you for sharing all of this. I I have so many more questions. Uh, I appreciate you guys sharing your story. Of course, thank you for giving us the opportunity to do that. It's, it's always, I mean, it's always enjoyable to, um, you see each other again through a different lens and, and um, you hear about each other's journeys, things that you're really familiar with. And each time we, we talk, there's a, there are things that I, you didn't know and now you do in, in the best sense of the way. Um, so thank you for giving us the opportunity to um, talk about how things have worked for us. Thank you, Jill. And thank you to anybody who's taken the time to listen this long. Goodness gracious. We certainly uh, <laughs> appreciate you as well. And um, keep, keep, uh, keep fighting folks. Um, Chris and I uh, believe in you too. So thank you for having us, Jill. Appreciate it. Thank you. SpondyCast was made possible by donations from the Spondylitis Association of America's individual members and our show's corporate sponsor, AbbVie. Since our founding in 1983, the Spondylitis Association of America has been the face, voice, and leading nationwide nonprofit, educating, empowering, and advocating for people living with spondyloarthritis. Through our extensive work with patients, the medical community, and partners, we provide information and resources to help people impacted by the disease live better lives and champion research to find a cure.